Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Movement as Medicine podcast, episode seven. I'm your host, Kevin Carr, with my amazing co-host, Brendan Rerick, just waking up uh, at about 5.17 a.m. out in California. Uh, how you doing? You awake yet? Uh, yeah, much more awake than I was at 4.37, yeah, so that's good. Get a little and caffeine I'm on my second cup of coffee now. Yeah. All right. Nice. Well, how's everything going out there? Mm. Uh, it was a busy week this week. Um, last week I had my CFSC in Los Altos and we had, I think, yeah, we had 15 people. It went really, really well. feels good to be back uh, live with our events. I think in the last two weeks we've done six live events and you've got another one coming up this weekend. Yeah, it's been pretty crazy, actually. We had, what, four events in that one weekend. And then you yep, had one we had, last weekend. And we had the winter seminar. Yeah, I'm in the winter seminar hangover right now from last week. So, <laughs> yeah, there's been a lot of education. So, yeah, we had that one weekend we had, I went to Maryland. You were in Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, Dan was in Ireland. And Pat was in Malta, New York. And then you got back-to-back -back weekends, so you were in Los Altos last weekend. We had the winter seminar. And, mm -hmm. yeah, Steve Bigelow, Courtney Moulton, and myself are on our way to New York right after this. i got to sprint out of here and get to the train. And we have a CFSC Level 1 in Manhattan at uh, Strength, the Strength Club with Kenny Santucci uh, tomorrow. Um, they just opened nice. up over the last year. So, yeah, cool little gym. It'll be interesting to go check that place out. I haven't been to New York in a while, so I'm excited to get back there. That's always a fun weekend, and there's always a lot of great coaches there. Whenever we go to New York, I would say we could do a CFSC in New York pretty much every month, I feel like, because there's so many coaches <laughs> and so much, so many people yeah. looking for education that it's usually a, a really good place to go. So, yeah, I'm excited to go back there, but I'll just be tired on Monday because right. we take the, the last train out Sunday <laughs> night uh, after teaching, but uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, that's three straight weekends. Yeah, and then nothing that's next a lot. week. I'm looking forward to that. I don't have any more teaching the rest of the month, so that's uh, I'll use the rest of the yeah, month. Yeah, neither to, do I. I recover. actually have two. I'm going two weekends in a row to Tahoe. So next weekend, we're uh, well, I'm skiing, and Rain's going to go snowboarding for the first time. That was her birthday present. Nice. Uh, so we got her a, a full-day snowboarding lesson, and we've been trying to – uh, gear her up for that and explain to her there's a lot of following, falling and learning involved. So hopefully that goes well. And then the following weekend, yeah. Jenny and I are going back up there by ourselves, but no skiing, just resting. <laughs> Good for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of mm -hmm. some bumps and bruises and learning uh, for snowboarding, but you know, pretty soon you'll be buying all the gear. So good luck with that. Oh, I know. I, hey, renting the gear, you might as well buy it at this point. Yeah. Because, oof. Uh, but yeah, we've we've explained to her she's going to probably have a pretty sore bum and pretty sore probably wrists and knees by the end of the day. But that's a good thing because that means <laughs> she's learning and getting better at it. We're just just trying to put that in her head that it's gonna it's not going to be uh, stand up and ride down the the big hill the first time. Listen, Uncle Kevin is going to dust off his uh, snowboard instructor oh. uh, days and come out and work with Rain. <laughs> so I'll get out. Uncle there. Kevin used to be used to be quite the athlete: BMX, football, and snowboarding. 
you know now i'm just it's not so much anymore <laughs> uh back in the day i was an action star uh, but um but yeah we'll have to get out there to tahoe again so um we're gonna yes, kind of keep do. this one moving this week because i know i have to sprint out of here and i'm sure mm-hmm. you got something to do today um so yeah. we got we got some good stuff to talk about we we want to do a winter seminar recap we'll do that later on in the podcast um mm-hmm. kind of going through some of the topics recurring themes the whole experience um went great last weekend um, but then we have a great thread that we pulled off of strengthcoach.com that you had some great insight on and shared some great graphics with um, if you want to kind of start off and ask, you want to recap the question that was asked, I put yeah. it in the, uh, the show notes, and then we can kind of just dive right in. I'm sure this could, we could talk about this for hours. So um, why don't you kick <clears throat> that off? So the thread that was on Strength Coach was risk versus reward and durability. Um, so the question was asked... Is strength training for performance the same as strength training for durability? Is it possible to be more durable but less explosive, or does higher strength and power in most situations translate to reduced injury risk? And on the flip side, is it possible to actually gain performance but increase risk of injury? What might be an example of that? So... That brought up for me a moment about 10 years ago. We, it was the first time I attended one of our MBSC live educational events, and we were all in the brand new meeting room at MBSC. We had just opened the second or the bigger bay, and we were all sitting in that room, and they had these whiteboards that Bruce Smack put up, and somebody was asking kind of they were asking Mike what what's the difference between what you do at MBSC versus like a CrossFit versus uh like rehab and stuff like that. Like so like what's our like differentiator at MBSC? And Mike got into this risk versus reward thing. And I'm gonna bring up the slide right now. So if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see it. If you can't uh, if you're listening to this, I will put it in the show notes as a Google Doc so you can open that up and see this. The What he drew on the whiteboard, I'll just never forget it. Um, and on one axis, you have reward. On the other axis, you have risk. So risk versus reward. And you have a linear line here. And he put three different bullet points. I have them as stars here in the picture. So on the low risk, low reward end, this is going to be your your rehab and your machine-based or driven programming. So the risk is very, very low. You're not going to get hurt during rehab, and you're not going to really – you can't really get hurt on a machine, leg extensions, uh, chest press, cable machines. It's really, really difficult to get injured doing those things. But the reward is also much lower. Like you're not going to get super fit and strong or what we would call functional uh, strength and conditioning sitting down on a machine and extending your legs or pressing out in front of you. And rehab, I mean, rehab is very, very necessary. Um, But nobody ever got really fit from stretching their hip and getting work done on their shoulder or getting their ankle mobilized. Like 
the reason why you do that stuff in rehab is so you can do more difficult stuff later. Now in the middle here, well, actually I'll go to the other end. So on the far end, really, really high risk, but high reward is any type of competition or survival driven programming. So the strongest shall survive, which we, uh, <laughs> I think we might know some of these programs or systems that exist out there still. And if you can survive these programs, you'll get ripped, you will get strong, and you will be championed. And the problem is, is with those type of competitive survival-based uh, systems or programs is we don't see all the people who, or we don't hear from all the people who failed or got injured or got left in the dust. Um, because all we hear about is the people who got ripped and strong and great. And they might've already been ripped and strong beforehand, or they might've gotten ripped or strong doing anything. Um, so gen it's almost like the, this uh, pro type of programming, high risk, high reward uh, finds the genetically gifted. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's the survivorship them... bias. Yes. And you wrote, I saw that you wrote about the survivorship yeah. bias uh, in another post, actually. If you, you can go more into that um, mm -hmm. after I show this. Well, with slide. any of these things where uh, you're like, oh, look at this really jacked person who did this program, or look how fit this person is, or work for them. We always see the people who uh, come out the other side positively, right? But we don't often see the people right. who came out the other side. <laughs> negatively and again like you said not inherently bad in certain situations like you said competition survival driven program things like if you're training to be yep. a crossfit competitor you should probably train like that if that's what your goal is probably not uh, a good option for most people same thing with like military style training right they probably need right. to do a lot of that shitty uh like <laughs> that like that work in the shit like when you see like boot camp style training and i don't mean boot camp like in the park like uh housewives from winchester i mean <laughs> yeah uh, you, like like boot camp like uh like actual boot camp um like buds and they yeah, might like yeah they might actually need to tie cinder blocks to their feet carrying yeah. boats um yeah like that that's the stuff you see people try to replicate uh probably not a good option for most but maybe necessary for it for that population right and Somewhere in between rehab and machine-driven programming and survival competition-driven programming, we would say that's where MBSC lies uh, or Certified Functional Strength Coach. We lie right in between. So uh, there's not so much risk that we're going to um, – we're going to potentially injure someone to get a higher reward. And there's not so much uh, reward that we are then going to uh, risk somebody's, let me say that again, I'm messing that up. There's not such low risk that we're not going to actually get somebody fit, strong, or get them to reach their goals. So this is what I'm calling functional performance or purpose driven programming. Um, and so yeah. that's where we lie right in between there. So it's not, it's like a, a Goldilocks's porridge, <laughs> not too hot, not too cold, just right. And again, we are trying to cast a really, really big net and catch a lot of fish. 
and we <laughs> will not catch all the fish. So with the certified functional strength coach programming that, or, or our philosophy that we believe in, we'll catch most people and we'll, we'll get about 80% of people. But there's a, there's a certain group, that 20%, that either needs the higher or lower risk versus reward. Um, and like you are saying, survivalship or survivor bias type training, that's good for some people. That's, that's what they need. Uh, but for the average population client or the average athlete, that's not the type of training that we're shooting for. Yeah. Actually bring that, bring that, uh, image up again real quick. Cause I just want to okay. highlight something real quick. Um, and kind of going through that progression, if we work our way up, um, one of the things that I think about is, well, two things. Number one, I remember hearing Pat Davidson make a good analogy where he said, most people you're going to train are like a really good Toyota Camry. Like dependable. <laughs> you're not going to drive it too aggressively. Yeah. You're not going to like rip it off road. You, I mean, you can get to where you need to go. It can accelerate just enough. It's going to be dependable and not break down. Like that's the, the 90% you said we're going to catch most fish. I'm okay with not catching all the fish. Uh, for the for yep. especially with Gen Pop, right? And that that's kind of what the conversation was about initially. Um, hmm. Whereas, like down on the far end, the rehab end, like we're fixing the car, right? And we're rehabbing the car. And on the high end, it's like a Ferrari. Most people who come into training at your gym don't want to be a Ferrari, don't need to be a Ferrari. They might have some aspirations back in their head, and that's okay. But for those that do want to be a Ferrari, or like my sweet TRD Tacoma that goes off road, um, <laughs> you might need to be more aggressive, right? And that's what you're going to do with your athletes. That's what you're going to do with the people at the top end, your combine athletes, your college football players, your, and, and even still in our setting, we're probably more conservative than most. Um, when it comes to training, even those athletes, right? We're probably still going to be further down to the left on that graph. Um, but understanding where people fit on that spectrum. Um, and then another thing, realize like this, this graph is in context of like what you said, uh, the, our functional training perspective, right? Because I guess machine driven programming, the reward could be very high if you had a bodybuilding client, right? Because mm -hmm. machine based training is, could be very high reward in instances where you want to have as little variability as possible as far as not a lot of variability in how the joint moves, right? And drive high amounts of volume and load into a specific pattern. Now, for the majority of people, the Toyota Camrys, if you will, um, that might not be the best choice because we, we probably want options to provide more variability in how they move because they're going to have greater carryover to activities of daily living and sporting <laughs> ventures. However, um, if you're trying to drive adaptations into a specific muscle tissue or joint, uh, or add as much volume as possible, a la bodybuilding, or actually in rehab situations. Like sometimes those uh, you want to use uh, approaches like that in a rehab setting as well early on. That could be very high reward. So what it's important to look at this uh, as this graph specifically in context of the training the average person. Again, always bringing it back to what we're talking about is the average person probably needs to be right smack dab in the middle. Even the average athlete probably needs to be smack dab right in the middle uh, of what you highlighted mm -hmm. in that graph. Yeah. The, uh, and I love so that going analogy. To the, that, question, uh, <laughs> the Camry. I was going to, I was going to say the, uh, if you think of it as from the standpoint of speed and the time it takes you to get there, 
risk first reward. So the faster you go, the higher the risk, but the quicker you'll get there. And that's your Ferrari. Mm-hmm. So if your Ferrari can go 130 and you're going 130 the whole time, the risks of going 130 miles an hour are pretty high, but you'll get there faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're in your Camry and you're going 75 and you're going the speed limit, uh, you're much like more likely to get there safely, and, but you're still mm-hmm. going to get the rewards of getting to the same destination. But if you're driving a Prius and you're going 35, it's... It's going to take you a while to get there. So I love that. I've never heard that, but I, I, we make most of our money training Toyota Camrys too. There's not a lot of Ferraris walking in through the gym doors. Uh, There's a lot more Priuses and and Camrys coming through. And like you said, sometimes you have to punt the Ferrari to somebody else because that individual needs a special type of training. Um, Yeah. And And, we might not be right. And CFSC is not, yeah, we're just trying to put say, that CFSC extra is not the camera. right program for everyone. Yeah, yeah we're tra- yeah the, we're the just next, trying to put that extra, next that extra package in, right? Like I want to like yeah, get the, the the super package in the Camry, so it's like a strong, the turbo, fast turbo Camry, <laughs> but still is pretty good gas mileage and it's not going to break down. That's the majority of people you're going to work with, right? And so, yeah, um, yeah. understanding and that we could put no, we we could put NOS and dual dual uh <laughs> mufflers on a toyota camry but it's still a toyota camry like that's exactly <laughs> so we can make it faster uh, we can soup it up but it's still a toyota camry <laughs> and so going back to the question i think it's it's a good discussion here um where they said is strength yeah. training for performance the same as strength training for durability is it possible to be more durable but less explosive or higher power or does higher strength power in most situations translate to reduced injury risk and it's a question of fitness right so Yes, I think being obviously being stronger and more powerful in most, especially sporting situations, is going to reduce injury risk, right? Um, your ability to absorb force and produce force, the adaptations that happen at the cellular level at the tissue and an elasticity level in the tissue from power training generally make us l- more resilient to stress, especially eccentric stresses where most people suffer soft tissue injuries. For a gen pop uh, standpoint, yes, being stronger um in a general sense is tip one going to make them weak there's plenty of research some research just came out like a week ago um showing that you know just people who generally strength train obviously have lower all-cause mortality lower risk of death from all causes um um and live longer so yes getting stronger more powerful generally helps um and then this follow-up question they ask is is it possible to actually gain performance but in increase risk of injury yes uh we always talk about um like those fast twitch athletes, like you tend to see these athletes that are really explosive, very fast twitch, um, sometimes have increased risk of uh, muscular strain. I think sometimes because they're so explosive that their tendons um, don't always catch up to the amount of force that they can produce. So it's, it is a balance, right? Um, but generally speaking, training is going to make people more resilient to stress, more fit for whatever task that they're training for, so long as the training lines up with the end goal activity and just to give everyone an idea of what this might look like for training right so us training an athlete for performance versus training somebody to just be healthy and more resilient or this person's using the word durable 
So for example, our athletes will Olympic lift. So they will hang clean and snatch uh, barbell or dumbbell snatch. Our adults do not hang clean due to the risk not being worth the reward. Uh, our athletes will trap our deadlift and they will pursue performance. And I'm going to call performance try, like trying to get to double body weight. That would be per performance for us uh, because athletes uh, are going to take hits there. So for example, a hockey player skates at 20 miles an hour and hits the boards. Like they need a different type of durability than the adult who has to go get their mail and go to work tomorrow morning. So with our adults or our gen pop, we are going to uh, not pursue heavy deadlifting. Grandma doesn't need to deadlift 225, regardless of what you see on Instagram and how, how cool it is that grandma can deadlift heavy. <laughs> Most grandmas just want to not break their hip and be able to drink wine and play uh, cards with their friends. Uh, they don't want to deadlift 225. Like, uh, <laughs> great for, for grandma, but the laundry basket is only three pounds. <clears throat> so we're not going to trap our deadlift with our gen pop or adults for, for that reason, because the risk is not worth the reward. Uh, hops. So jump is on two legs, bound is right to left, left to right. So our adults will, will jump and uh, bound, but they don't hop um, due to the risk of injury. So hops are same leg to same leg plyometrics. All our athletes do it because the risk is worth the reward. So we want to train that ability to absorb forces on one leg to avoid things like Achilles tears, uh, ACL injuries. So all our athletes do hops, but our adults do not hop on one leg. Now, there's an exception to every rule. Someone will say, yes, I saw somebody at MB. I saw an adult at MBSC doing a hop hop. So if it's a personal mm -hmm. training client and they're, they're very high training age, yes, occasionally there is an exception mm -hmm. to the rule. But it's for the most part, in group training with a lot of people, we do not hop, trap bar, hang clean, or snatch. And we don't run uh, sprints. Like we don't run time sprints with our adults or gen pop. Like the, <laughs> the hamstring tear, the ankle roll, the trip and fall is just not worth it. So with our adults, we run things like tempo runs. We do more type circuit training. Like people would call these Metcons, metabolic conditioning, where you – you know, you do ropes, you push a sled, and then you do the bike. Like, we don't do that really with athletes because the goal is performance. Like, doing a Metcon is not – it's just going to make you average at everything, which is what mm -hmm. we want for durability and for our, our adults. But our athletes, we don't want them to be average. We want to – we're going to increase the risk for our athletes because we need that extra reward for – their performance on the field court ice or whatever, because there's a higher risk for injury in the field of play than there is in general activities of daily life. That's, and you could still get hurt uh, doing your, your general activities, but yeah, there's less exposure to yeah. risk just living your daily life than playing a competitive sport. Um, I'm going to pause for a second there so you can answer that, but I do want to then yeah. address after this, what's the difference between an athlete and between 
general pop or what's the difference between training for sports performance versus training for durability and health? Like, how do you categorize those people? Because everyone wants to raise their hand and be like, well, I'm an athlete, but. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I, um, I have two good little notes on the, when you talked about specifically the hops and the sprinting. So um, I'll go back and tell a story and I'll kind of talk about hopping in the group specifically because I, I okay. think they're important but how you coach it how you program it matters and so I remember early on having a woman who was she had been training with us for a few weeks and I was early in my career coaching the adult groups in NBC and I remember being like yeah let's try hopping over a hurdle and sure enough like she got through the first round and she was like all over the place I'm like gosh she'll get better and uh then she jumped over the second hurdle on her second set and she rolled her ankle freaking bad and I remember seeing the her face being like, I remember like the look of like how upset she was, not just because her ankle was swelling up the size of a grapefruit, but also because I remember her saying, well, I'm a hairdresser. Like, I don't think I can go to work tomorrow. Like talk about risk versus reward. Um, I don't know. Tr- hairdressers generally are a lot like trainers and that like, if you don't work, you don't get paid. It's not like they have a salary and paid days off typically they're usually private independent mm-hmm. contractors um renting chairs and whatnot so i remember thinking like oh shit uh in like her being like the look on her face being like oh man like i don't know how i might be out of work the rest of the week that's a risk versus reward conversation and like me as a young coach probably should have known like yeah probably should have kept her on two legs the whole time right lesson mm-hmm. learned for mm-hmm. me there luckily she was okay after a couple of days and i still moved it she was good to go and she's still with us um, but thinking about that, I always go back to that. When I look at my adult groups and I see them doing plyos, I always think like, who's going to be the hairdresser, uh, in the group. And, and, and I don't want that to happen. And, and I'll say that while also saying that I have people in my adult group who do single leg hops, but you go risk first reward. Every decision we make in a training context mm-hmm. is balancing those two things. And so in my adult group, I have some. People who I would definitely not do hops with either because of their orthopedic history, their hop, their knees, their ankles. Um, maybe they're a little overweight. Maybe their coordination isn't great. So I'm like, yeah, we do two leg jumps on a box over a hurdle. We do bounds typically, like you said, much easier um, for them to land when they're not hopping and landing off the same foot. In that same group, I also have people who are probably in their early 30s, still play recreational sports. Like I have a couple guys that play men's league hockey, a couple guys that play men's league basketball, a woman that's a runner. And I do hops with them while the other group, rest of the people do jumps. Now, uh, I typically start everybody on like a uh, either hopping over the rungs of a ladder, like an agility ladder. So they're not even, they barely have to get off the ground or over a six inch hurdle. And sometimes with the adults, all the adults will be like, hey, we're, if we are going to do hops, we're going to just do ladder hops because it's more about yeah. single leg hip stability. It's a line. Um, and just their ability to jump yeah. and land. It's a land. So line hops we do do. Um, but we're typically not going to provide much elevation. And we're almost certainly for the majority of adults not going to do things like uh, continuous elastic hops. Um, unless I have someone who's still competing, like like you said, in an adult setting where they are uh, still competing in some sort of sport, then they kind of fall into that athlete bucket still, right? Um, and that's the question that you're going to go over next. And a uh, real quick note on the sprinting thing, not timing sprints with adults. This was a conversation we had in our staff meeting just a few weeks ago because we always keep the timers <laughs> set up at all times the oh, time, like, because the yeah, athletes are always, always ready, out and, but the adult groups are going and the adults and see it's them one of those situations yeah. oh god it's they're like kids if you have the biggest yeah. hurdle out they're going to try to jump over it if you have the biggest box out 
they're going to try to jump on it. I have a guy in my group who's uh, like 70 years old, a little over 70. And of course, he he's former athlete, former very good athlete, but he's like 70 something years old, a ton of injuries. And he goes, oh, 48 inch box. And he goes over and I see Mike's face from the distance being like, no. And the Tukey, <laughs> his name is, runs up, jumps. I mean, he freaking jumped up on it. But I was like, oh, my God, like this guy's going to fucking hurt himself. And uh, so you have to like kind of temper expectations and sometimes put the distractive toys away to the side like the timers were out and before we knew it that coach the group had self-organized like while they were running tempos we're like we're gonna run sprints and like Medan and i weren't there the adults were <laughs> running through the timers as fast as they could because the, the time is up on the wall like it and so they yeah yeah, they, yeah. this bunch of 50 60 year olds sprinting as hard as they could and i'm like oh my god i'm gonna see an achilles tear i'm gonna see a hamstring tear and mike is like no <laughs> and they were all butthurt for a week we're like listen you guys can do tempo runs but like probably not great for you to be doing 10 full effort sprints because they're supposed to be doing tempos they're supposed to do 10 tempo runs they yeah. turned into 10 full effort sprints up and back <laughs> the and uh so Again, risk versus reward. I looked at that and was like, nah, probably not worth it. Uh, all these people yeah. have to go to work after they leave here today. And if they're all limping around, it's probably not going to be the result that they wanted or that we intended. So uh, that brings you I right. appreciate what the, is an uh, athlete. Yeah, I appreciate the competitive nature of that group. But a lot of people have that still inside of them. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, that's what makes group training so great is – as much as you want to say, like, it's about each individual they're they know who's in their group They're They everyone's got an eye on somebody and what somebody else is doing. And it keeps you motivated a little bit. Uh, but again, if they get hurt on your watch, that's your fault, uh, for allowing yeah. <laughs> it to happen. Um, the, so that, that I've, this was a strengthcoach.com question a, a while ago. And somebody was asking like, okay, so what? What makes somebody an athlete, right? So for me, you are an athlete if, or a competitor, right? You participate in a competition that keeps score and there's a winner and loser and there are playoffs, okay? So there's a winner, there's a loser, there are playoffs and it, they keep score, okay? So... Backyard basketball is not a competitive sport. <laughs> um, golf, like maybe yes or no. But now here's my second caveat. Your heart rate needs to get above 70%. So that makes golf <laughs> not a competitive sport. That makes curling or bocce ball or bowling not a competitive sport. Like they are not doing sports. You're saying you're training. excluding things that you can drink during. It sounds like. Yes. Yes. So maybe that's if a, you can have a beer in your hand of, <laughs> if you can have a beer in your hand, I like that actually, that's easier than the heart rate thing. So if you can have a beer in your hand and that does not, that you fall into the everything else. And then that's what we call general population health, uh, health benefit training, durability training, fit, uh, re uh, resilience training. Like you are, it's everybody else. Okay. So an athlete yeah. is as you start to move score. towards more risk averse choices, right? Correct. So 
that and yes, that, that so that brings me to my next point is athletic training or sports performance training c- carries a higher risk with it, but a higher reward. So that's what makes you, in my opinion, an athlete is there's a competition where they keep score. There's a winner and loser and there's playoffs or a champion at the end and your heart rate gets relatively high and you can't drink, you don't drink a beer during the competition. That's, that's a newly added <laughs> uh, standard. Um, I yeah, and then there's everybody else. That, so... sports now that I can drink beers during. <laughs> <laughs> that makes you a general population client, Kevin. Proud, proud member. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to distinguish that because there's a lot. We, I always get that question, like, why am I not considered an athlete? Like, why, why, is, why is this a general population group? Like, if you like to run 5Ks probably not going to fall into that. Like, yeah, you're getting your heart rate up and you're competing with yourself, but like, there's no playoff. There's no championship. It's like, yeah, well, and there's no hobby. There's no reward really. Like, so like, I know Mike always says, if if your paycheck or your scholarship, um, uh, depends on your competitive, uh, uh, experience, like you're, you competing, then you're an athlete, Mm -hmm. right? Um, even if that, like I have a guy like Matt who competes in bike racing still and competes in downhill mountain biking still and gets prizes and stuff like I, he's like on the border of like, he's, he's 50, uh, but like on the line of like athlete and gen pop, we, some of our choices are a little more aggressive, uh, from from a performance aspect. Some of our choices are a little bit more conservative because his injury history and his age. And that's generally the track of decision-making you follow for everybody um but like as you start to trend towards uh less more risk averse you're probably more gen pop and as you start to trend towards more reward and more aggressive training then you're probably uh more athletic in nature right and you everybody exists on that spectrum in in some capacity right so the uh to bring this to summarize this and that way we can talk a little bit about the seminar before you uh, need to go. Uh, to summarize this, there's there's a spectrum of of risk versus reward, and there's a amount of risk you need to be willing to give up in order to get a certain amount of performance. And mm-hmm. if you don't if you don't go there, you might not get the performance training that you need or the benefits that you need but also remember it in the you brought it up the context of what the individual needs so if they need to be able to do simple daily activities and go to work that requires a different amount of risk than somebody who needs to get on the ice and skate and compete for a championship or compete for a paycheck or compete for a, a scholarship. Um, and those, those two things are going to require different risks. And that's how we would distinguish the difference between durability training. So your Toyota Camrys and sports performance training, where you're trying to create a Ferrari or you're trying to soup up your Toyota Camry. <laughs> <laughs> Very well stated, Fred. Good job. 
It's almost like you wrote nice. a whole forum thread on this. Um, so <laughs> almost. <laughs> we're gonna get that was really good. Um, so we're gonna talk about the winter seminar a little bit. It went awesome. It was as always. It's like a good reunion weekend. I wish you were there um, mm-hmm. because a lot of our friends come to town. Like Drew Massey was at my house, as you guys saw from the podcast last week. Felix came. Um, our friend Giuseppe and his buddies from uh, Italy came over. And uh, Raul and Jordi from Spain, our CFSC partners over there, came over. And then all of our friends kind of from all over the U.S., um, kind of who have been part of CFSC or MBSC in some way, all kind of come for the weekend. So it's always a good time uh, between the seminar and then obviously the social after. Uh, is, a, is always pretty enjoyable. But it was uh, after a hectic two days um, and some great presentations. Um, it was I kind of took the time to digest it this week and i went back looked at some of the slides i got the videos back i actually watched some of the videos yesterday um and kind of just tried to get my perspective on on each talk again because sometimes when you're sitting there for two straight days like you're writing notes and you're thinking and at the end of the day you're like i don't even know what i learned today um so you got to go back and kind of recap and it's interesting we had a wide array of speakers so we had you know nicole rodriguez came and talked about youth development with low equipment Right, like in Poland, she's training uh, soccer kids from you know nine all the way up to eighteen out on a field on a pitch with like no equipment most of the time. How does she deal with the specialized athlete with low equipment to make them healthy and durable and, and be able to perform at a high level? Les talked specifically about speed development, almost entirely about training football players um, for the combine, how they work, look at speed development. Um, Mark Fitzgerald kind of talked about his overall training philosophy from his experience in the NHL to owning a private business. Um, I spoke about managing the back pain client. Mike spoke about orthopedic costs, very controversial. Um, and, <laughs> uh, literally what you just said, uh, weighing risk versus reward. Dan had a similar topic specifically talking about training adults. It was very, very, very good. I would, Dan McGinley's talk was outstanding. Um, Vinny talked about building a nutrition uh, coaching system and working on behavior change. And then Steve talked about kind of client retention, keeping clients for long periods of time and how to one from a relationship standpoint, do that. And two, from a programming standpoint, do that. So we had a huge variety of topics. Um, but the theme that I think I heard everybody say this, either exactly say these words, um, or summarize it in what they said was meet the client where they're at. It was like the, I literally heard that phrase uh, like a hundred times over the course of the weekend. And no matter what the actual specific topic was, it came back to that singular concept that we need to meet the client right out, whether that's psychologically, whether that's from a nutrition standpoint, whether that's from a speed development power standpoint, whether that's from a pain standpoint um, and bringing everything back to that. Like for, for instance, like for mine, I spoke much about the communication aspect of dealing with someone who has chronic back pain because they want a cause and effect to their back pain, which is typically not the case with chronic back pain. So going back to what their needs, their desires, their wants, their desired outcomes of training are and kind of what their expectations for training are and then building a program from there. Uh, Nicole talked about, you know, being resourceful, specifically in a training situation that like if you don't have equipment and you have uh, athletes who you need to prepare for a specific sport, meet them where they are, they're at from a, uh, especially in European soccer, like their expectation for training is much different than ours. Uh, meet them where their expectation <laughs> is and try to build a program from there. Um, and then uh, Steve Bigelow kind of talking about long-term client retention, how to continually 
move the target or provide variation without change to continue to get them to train for years at a time as their life changes. And so it was like a recurring theme the entire weekend, which I thought was really good because we didn't intend that. We didn't discuss that, um, but it just kind of came up that way. And it was highlighted in the Q&A by some people's questions and their comments afterwards. And I thought that was really, really interesting. That makes me think of the begin with the end in mind. Yeah, when you you meet somebody for the first time and they tell you what their goals are and you do an assessment on them, you say, okay, based off of what you're telling me and what I'm seeing, this is where you would need to be in, we'll say six months. And you work the program backwards from there to meet them where they're currently at. Mm -hmm. So once you do that, you might say, well, this is actually gonna take you nine months or this might actually take you only six weeks, right? So, but you start with the end in mind. What, what do we want? How, what's our timeline? What's our duration? What are the goals? And then you work that program all the way back down to where they're at. And then you build them back up. Mm, yeah. Um, so that's, that's what that brought up for me while you were talking about that. Yeah. Like what, like in my context, I know I can speak probably more directly about what I talked about in my presentation was like when people have back yeah. pain, and they, we want to get them fit. We always want to put them into our box. Hey, you need to deadlift. You need to do squats. You need to do pushups. You need to bench. You need to do whatever, right? We always say like, we're going to get them really strong. We're going to get them fit. Um, and like you said, it's the grandma deadlifting, like is the thing you always see. But like the majority of the clients that come in, you probably don't give a shit about deadlifting at all. Um, they, they are training with, they just want to be out of pain. Get back. <laughs> yeah. And I just more be out importantly, of there's pain. probably, Typically, it's not even necessarily the pain that they even comment. If you ask them, it's, I want to get back to being able to go hiking. I want to get back to mm. being able to play with my kids. I want to get back to being able to go and do a 5K, you know, every now and then without worrying about my knee or my back hurting. It's, they never even really say like, hey, I want to feel better every day. It's find out what they actually want. And if you, when you do that, and then you can start to find training approaches that get them there, whether it's what you want or what they want, uh, yeah. it's probably a better approach. And so what I said was like, it's probably more important that we listen to what the client wants rather than they listen to us, tell them what they need. And like, it's often like, Oh, we need to get stronger here. Well, I always ask like, okay, where do you want to be in six months? Why is that important to you? Um, and then how can we build a plan? Like you said, begin with the end of mind. How can we build a plan to get you to that? And uh -huh. that is Vinny talked about it with the nutrition piece, right? Like, meet them where they're at is like, we always talk about trying to teach nutrition. It's like, sometimes you got to start it. Like, what is a protein? What is a carb? Uh, how do yeah. you cut your vegetables? Like people can't, Brett, Vinny talked a lot about like, I don't talk about nutrition unless they like start to even know like, okay, how do I prepare foods? Uh, like just work on meet them where they're at. Like we always want to bring them to learn about like intermittent fasting or, yeah. uh, you know, low carb diet or something like, dude, these people like, eat mcdonald's every day uh they don't think twice about what they eat so like you have to start at behaviors first and so again that was the recurring theme whether it was pain performance uh client relationships everything came back to that same theme because at the end to get behavior change that's really what matters to tap into the client's desires and motivations and so yeah. it was it was just funny that like we didn't 
plan that theme, but it came back to the same theme over and over because I think a lot of people who are actual coaches, like we try to prioritize bringing in the people who actually coach to educate other trainers. Um, they, they understand that kind of implicitly because they've dealt with people enough. So you want to give them what they want and sprinkle in what they need. Mm -hmm. That's a famous quote from a a book that, uh, a coach wrote. I don't know if you know what book that is. (laughs) Coaching rules. That's in that coaching Uh, rules, that coaching (laughs) rules book. That coaching rules book. Uh, (laughs) shameless plug. Um, I, where is that going to be available, copy. Kevin? Yeah, I doubt uh, it. So but, the winter seminar, uh, yeah. Uh, where will the that be seminar, available to watch? I, we should have it up on NBSC TV next week. Um, and mm-hmm. so quick note, if you're an NBSC TV member listening to this, it is going to be an additional purchase. Uh, but if you buy it, it'll just be added to your account. Whereas it's going to be because it's going to be sold publicly. For people who are non-MBSC TV members, if you were someone who attended the seminar, you'll get access to that for free. Well, not for free. You pay for it. You'll get access to it uh, once <laughs> it is available. So hopefully we'll have that next week. I just got the recordings back. So I'm getting those edited and put up in the next few days here. And so it'll be available uh, on MBSC TV on demand uh, if you're listening to this. Hopefully by the time you're hearing this, hopefully it's available. Awesome. Uh Book yeah. recommendations and then go. All right. Yeah, My sure. book recommendation this week is I do 90% Mental by Bob Tewksbury. It's oh, very an good. awesome book about the, and he's a baseball sports psychologist. So he was a baseball pitcher himself, and he mostly works with baseball pitchers from the major leagues. So, like John Lester with the. When he was on the the Boston Red Sox and then the Chicago Cubs, um, I forget a couple of the other athletes, but it's a fascinating book about how to overcome the the noises in your head, um, especially in a sport like baseball. That is, uh, it, it's a lot of games. It's a very individual sport, and there's a lot of failure in baseball. So there's way more failure in baseball than there is in any other sport. So, for example, in baseball, yeah. if you hit if you hit the ball three out of 10 times, you're really good. <laughs> like that's, it's, that's crazy. So yeah, that right? means you're failing. Yeah. You're failing seven out of 10 times and it's okay, but that's really hard to mentally get over that hurdle compared to most other sports where it's not, there's not that much failure. Um, and if there is failure, it's a team failure. Whereas in baseball, it's an individual, like there's no other person at bat with you other than you. And so if you have Mm -hmm. a poor batting performance, that's, that's your fault. Um, not any of your teammates. So the uh, the 90%, yeah, 90% mental by Bob Tewksbury. Yeah. That was a book club book that Mike gave all of us. And at first I was like, I I was like, I was just going to be good. And I was like, yeah, one of the ones I didn't start for like the first week or so. And then I went in, I was like, oh, this was very, very, very good. Um, it does start it. slow because mm-hmm. it's a lot of his just story, not the psychology stuff. But then it picks up once he starts talking about the strategies that he used, um, like the mental imagery stuff is very fascinating. The the meditation and breathing stuff. The so yeah, it's uh, I loved it. I got to re-listen to it now that I've mentioned it. <clears throat> yeah, you have it on audio. Yeah, it's on it's audible. Very good on audible. Oh, so I didn't know that. I, I, uh, read yeah. it, I might download the audible. 
Um, so mine is, this is one I give to clients. I have a bunch of copies to give the clients. It's called, why do I hurt? Oh. Uh, by Adrian Lowe. It's actually just, I, it's made for clients, but generally the, all the ones that are made for clients, I like better than the actual book. Yeah. That's like, it's simple. Like I said, um, back mechanic, back yeah. mechanic by Stuart McGill is one of my favorite books and it's written for clients. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's awesome. And so this is a patient book about the neuroscience of pain. And so like why that pain can sometimes be unpredictable or pain is not necessarily associated with injury and why pain can be chronic and persistent in one, it gives some basic strategies for them to deal with it, understanding outside of just the mechanical biological piece that it's also your stress management and your sleep and all these things that impact your pain. Because sometimes as a coach or as a therapist, if you're not per uh, always selective with how you say it, it can make them think you're telling them it's all in their head and that they're crazy. Mm -hmm. And I'll give them this because it helps them understand that like, no, it's like, that's your body working the way it's supposed to. And so it'll kind of give them the education. This is by Adrian Lowe, and it kind of just helps set guidelines. I think it's it's a must read if you're a coach uh, and you're going to be dealing with people in pain or a, tra a therapist and you're dealing with people in pain. Um, and if you want to dive into actual textbooks, that's great. But this probably is a really, really, really good place to start for both uh, patient and coach and, and therapist. So I keep copies of these in my lobby. Um, I have a bunch of them. And like I'll give them a load. As I say, I'm going to purchase one myself. Yeah, I I'm going to purchase one like right after this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've never, really I've never heard of it. There's a lot of pictures, Brendan. So I know you, you're Perfect. a big picture book guy. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like lots of, uh, lots of good pictures and things. So, uh, oh, nice. You know, there we go. Perfect for you. Yeah. All right. So, awesome. <laughs> I'll be purchasing that as soon as we're done here. Um, yeah. Well, I know you got to go. So, um, Got to head to the South Station, hop on the hop on the old Amtrak train. Work for the next four hours. I love the Amtrak. Yeah. So, um, well, everybody, thank you for listening. Um, quick episode. We're about 50 minutes this week, but that's just fine. Hopefully, um, we'll be back next week. And thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Kev.